Welcome to the Diabetics Doing Things podcast, where we explore the amazing stories of type 1 diabetics around the world. I'm your host, Rob Howe, Diabetics Doing Things founder and 11-year type 1 diabetic. Help raise awareness for Diabetics Doing Things by sharing this with your diabetic friends. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. Tag a type 1 friend today. This week, we're joined by Lindsay Power from Plano, Texas. Lindsay discusses adjustments to being diagnosed as a teen and shares intimate details on the pressures and obstacles associated with diabetic pregnancy in our most captivating interview to date. We're here with episode five of Diabetics Doing Things, and uh, joining me today is Ms. Lindsay Power. Um, Lindsay, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very glad to be on the show. Um, so we've uh, we've been at this for a little while now, um, and we've interviewed some really great diabetics um, from all over the world. Um, and today you're going to talk to us a little bit about you know what it's like to be a mom with type one diabetes. So um, let's talk a little bit first, like how we know each other uh, through the uh, world famous Dallas Comedy House, uh, yes. one of uh, four at least four uh, improvisers up at BCH who uh, are type one diabetics. Um, yeah. Uh, we actually met, we became troop mates, and I became your TA all in the same week, pretty much. Yeah, we got to, you were the TA of the first class that I taught. Yes. Uh, and a very great group of, yes. of people. And also, uh, we may be the shortest and tallest improvisers at DCH, so. Right, just to show that, like, diabetes affects both <laughs> the short and uh, the tall. Yeah. Uh, all types of people. Yes. Um, so tell us a little bit about uh, your yourself and your diagnosis uh, with diabetes. Let's take it from the, from the top. Okay. Um, I was diagnosed with diabetes uh, when I was 15 years old. Um, I was actually supposed to go to London with my high school theater club uh, between my sophomore and junior year. I had been saving all year to go, and um, I lost all this weight, and I was thirsty all the time, and I was peeing all the time, and my mom's really smart, and she said, I feel like you have diabetes, even though it does not run in our family. So she just knew what the symptoms were. She knew. Um, she's, she's very in tune medically for someone who's not uh, medical. And she took me to the doctor. They, um, they found out that I was in large ketosis and sent me straight to the hospital to await my blood tests. Um, and really, I wasn't that devastated when they told me it was diabetes. Uh, my question was, can I still go to London on Sunday? Right. It was Wednesday. I said, can I still go to London on Sunday? Uh, and they said no. Mm. And that's when I cried. So, so you, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, when we're 15 and we have all those uh, expectations built up for trips like that, I think, you know, it's hard to put it in perspective. Yeah. Um, but you said, you know, what was going through your mind when they said that you probably have diabetes? All I could think of was Stacy from the Babysitter's Club. Okay. Um, and she's a horrible misinterpretation of a type 1 diabetic. So I don't know anything about Stacy. Oh, yeah. Club. Tell, okay, what, how, do they misinterpret, uh, how do they misinterpret diabetes? Um, basically, she just eats really healthy. Like, if the rest of them are having cookies, she'll have an apple. Okay. And so, you know, what you discover when you become diabetic is, yes, an apple is a healthier choice, but it still has fructose. Right. You're still gonna have to. You're still gonna have to factor in about 15 carbs and, and do insulin. And uh, since Stacy was the only representation of diabetes, I had the common misconception that like just don't eat unhealthy food. Uh, don't eat candy. Don't eat cookies. Right. And then yeah. you know um, when you're in the hospital, they're like, hey, you can eat whatever you want as long as you count it. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, 
Talk about uh, where were you uh, where were you living when you were diagnosed? I was living in Plano, Texas, uh, and I was actually diagnosed at the Medical Center of Plano. I think it was HCA at the time. Uh, my pediatrician walked over to wait the blood test results with us, um, and he told us go to Children's Medical Center in Dallas because they have a really good nursing team and they're going to be able to take care of you. Um, and so my mom, uh, who has her own health problems, does not drive on the highway. Oh. And my dad was in Florida for my grandparents' 50th anniversary. And she was freaking out because she didn't, she didn't know what to do, and my blood sugar was over 1,000. Oh, wow. And so she, he said, don't go home. Don't just get there. And uh, I remember she called her best friend, whose husband was a urologist. And he realized the seriousness of it. He said, come home. They lived in our neighborhood. He said, come home and pack a bag. I'll be there. Just call me when you get home. So we did. And um, he was driving us to the hospital, and he told us he was on call. And he actually was not supposed to leave. But because he was a doctor, he understood ketoacidosis, blood sugar over 1,000. And I kept trying to fall asleep in the back seat. And he kept reaching back and patting my knee saying, you know, stay awake, stay awake. And, you know, I didn't understand it at the time. Um, but he, he was afraid that I was going to, if I went to sleep, I'd go into a coma. So mm. uh, we got to the emergency room and they checked us in and told us to sit down. And I just remember he walked up to the counter and said, she's in ketoacidosis. Her blood sugar is over 1,000 and she's just been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And they said, no, 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 don't sit down. Don't sit down. Get, get right. back here right now. Um, and that was kind of all of that together was when I was like, wow, this is, this is serious. I think it's funny, like the way that that story unfolded, because it's almost exactly, uh, identical to what happened when I was diagnosed. Really? Uh, we, my mom took, knew something was wrong. She's always, even though she's not, uh, doesn't have a medical degree or any sort of practitioner's license. She's yeah. very medically in tune. She's like, something's wrong. Took me to urgent care. They said, you've got diabetes. They did the test. You definitely do. Go to Children's right away. Do not go home. Um, so, I, I mean, I think, you know, Children's Hospital, obviously, I uh, give credit to a, a lot of the reasons I was so well-prepared and well-adjusted, even yeah. after week one of diabetes. How, uh, when you got there, did you have the same type of experience? Yeah, they were great. And um, I went to Children's Endocrinology for yep. my endocrinologist and my appointments. They were amazing. Um, and I remember they have, uh, so they give you all your basic education. I remember they had me give both my parents uh, a shot to show my parents that the needles weren't that bad and to allow me to practice before I did my, my first shot. Mm -hmm. And when it came time to do my first insulin shot, uh, some friends were visiting, which, which kind of worked out because I didn't want to wimp out. I didn't want to wimp out in front of them. So... I did it. Uh, but then two weeks after you get home, they have you come back for a class. Did they do that for you? Uh, I don't remember exactly if I had to come back for a class. Um, I was there for about five days. Yeah, me too. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure that I did. Um, the, the classes didn't jump out at me, though. And I think by that time, I was, like, so well adjusted to it. I, I don't know. I just sort of – I don't know if you were the same way. But once I learned what to do, I felt pretty confident that I was going to be able to do it really well. And, um, yeah. And they don't put you on Humalog right away. It's like – for breakfast, this many carbs, this much insulin, this time. Right. So, I mean, I, I got on such a good routine, which I was on, I guess, for about the next year or so. And I think mine was very similar. And, like, you know, you, you have your list of, you know, what you should eat every meal, how much insulin. You're not even worried about ratios, and you're just really tracking all your levels. And I just remember, I'm sure, I mean, your blood sugar was more than double what mine was when you got diagnosed. But um, I just remember immediately feeling so much better. Uh, when I got insulin in me, you know, just sitting there on the on the 
a gurney basically with the IV of saline for hydration and they put insulin in it. Yeah. I just remember immediately like, oh, I like, now I feel good again, finally, after all this time. Do you have something similar to that? No. They told me that they didn't want to give me too much insulin because they didn't want me to crash. And I just remember um, I had not been hungry. And I got hungry, which was probably the blood sugar coming down. Mm-hmm. But it was horrible because I don't, and I don't remember this, but I guess I was like begging for mac and cheese. This is what every, and so, and then they let me go to sleep, which was nice. Uh, but when I woke up, they brought me some grilled cheese and said, you know, we don't have any mac and cheese, but we have this. And I had no idea why they prefaced it by telling me we don't have mac and cheese. I was like, I don't, okay. And they were like, you were like begging for mac and cheese. Like you, you were freaking out. And, um, I do remember they had to do two IVs. They did a saline IV in one arm and they did a Heplock in the other arm so that they could drop blood. And mm. they and I did not like needles and I was kind of freaking out. And they said, um, if we don't do this, we're gonna have to stick you every hour to three hours. And I just kind of went, oh, okay. And they, I mean, they were right. Uh, by day four, my vein had collapsed <laughs> from uh-huh. them taking blood uh-huh. out of it and they had to, they had to get very creative. Has your, I mean, obviously you give multiple shots all the time you have a, you're on a pump um how, how long did it take for you to adjust to needles uh shots did, never really bothered me if i'm if i'm remembering correctly um once i did it once you know uh but i i remember two or three weeks in not wanting to test my blood sugar anymore just that hurt the finger sticks and i remember crying and asking my mom to do it for me because i couldn't bring myself to push the button and she said, well, they said we can do it in your toes or your earlobes. Is that? And I said, no, it's not. You can do it in my fingers. I just can't do it myself right now. Yeah. And I think it takes a little while, even just like that anticipation of like, because you're always pulling away. And then you do a couple pricks and the blood doesn't come out and you get mad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so well, and those old glucometers, you needed so much blood on those old glucometers. Now it's microscopic. It's yeah, it's great, uh, and that's and that's another thing. Is like uh, when you were fifteen. I don't want to. I don't want to date you here, but like, what what year was it? Nineteen ninety. Wait for it. Nineteen ninety eight. Nineteen ninety eight. So um, yeah. really, only eight years uh, before I was diagnosed, but at the same time, or seven years. Um, how has technology changed from that day to where we are now, and and how your treatment has like evolved over time? Well, I remember a 45-second test. I remember my one-touch meter uh, had a huge circle for you to put blood on, and it would take 45 seconds, and then it'd get there and say not enough blood sometimes, which was, like, disheartening. And when you feel like you're crashing, that instantaneous result is desirable, of course. Um, Also, I remember my first pump. I hated it. It jammed all the time. And uh, after a year or so of wearing it, I went back to shots. I, because it wasn't worth it to me. I was acting a lot at the time and it would jam during shows and alarm and I just couldn't do it. So I switched back to shots, you know, and then uh, when I started trying to get pregnant, they put me on the Omnipod pump, which is totally wireless. Um, nothing like the experience of having my cat chew through my tubing and waking up in ketosis. Um, and I mean, just the adjustments for the, the basal rates, the background rates have, um, I, th- I feel like they've changed my life. I feel like they allowed me to be pregnant. Um, I work on my feet. I work retail. I don't have a lot of time to test my blood sugar or take care of my blood sugar. So just being able to suspend my insulin rather than chugging some orange juice or, you know, it just, it, it's changed my life. 
And you, um, a couple times you, you mentioned just now uh, being pregnant, and it's kind of what we're going to talk about a little bit more today is like to your personal story, uh, you're a mother to two amazing, uh, super talented, adorable young, uh, young men. Um, what, uh, obviously as a type 1 diabetic, like there were, you know, you had to be cautious and had to talk, did you talk to your doctor? Talk a little bit about what that was like for, as a process. Um, well, I've always known that I wanted to be a mom. I have four sisters. I have a big family, and um, I love kids. I've been babysitting, so that's how I saved money for London, was babysitting. Uh, I was a professional nanny in my you know early adult years, so kids were always on the table for me. And so when I was, I think about 19 was the first time it ever really came into my consciousness that diabetics don't have babies or something along those lines. And I, I remember asking my diabetes educator, and she said, yeah, you can have kids, but have them young. And that was scary for me at 19 to sort of have a biological clock thrown down. Um, and she said, I'm not saying, you know, run out and get pregnant now, but you are going to want to have your first child before you're 30 because 30 starts to get into a second risk area and you don't want to play that game. Um, and I feel like... That contributed a lot. I actually was going to an acting school uh, in Indiana, a really good school where people make it, and I dropped out. I moved back home. I really put a lot of focus on um, having the kind of life that would be conducive to finding someone, getting married, having kids. Uh, and, then, um, and then even telling that person, you know, my, now my husband, but just saying, you know, I don't want to wait more than a year after we're married before we start trying. It's always been in my consciousness. And then <laughs> um, having his family say things like, well, you know you can't have kids because you're diabetic. They're older. They're old school, but right. uh, they, are, they are medical. Uh, his hmm. father's a doctor. His mom's a nurse. And they both told him and told me, well, you can't have kids. Are you interested in adopting? And it's hard. You're, you know, they're your future in-laws. <laughs> you don't right. want to go, no, you're wrong. I know you went to medical school, but you're wrong. Uh, but just kind of going, okay, th thanks for that. Well, let's let's talk about that for a second because I think initially you said you know you'd always dreamed of having kids and always knew, known you wanted to be a mom. And um, I think a big part of the mission of what we are doing with diabetics doing things is like, yeah, you have diabetes, but you still can do whatever it is you dream of doing and follow your heart. And I know that's big in my life. So um, I think misconceptions when people, uh, and you know, what, what have been some, you know, let's talk a little bit more about this one, but then also, you know, what are some other misconceptions that you've sort of been labeled either unfairly or just, you know, flippantly by people? Well, I think sometimes people think, uh, sometimes people think you're weaker than you are, but also sometimes people think you're stronger than you are, if that makes sense. Um, you know, I'm pretty good about if my blood sugar crashes, I catch it fairly early. I usually have pretty tight control. So I feel it early and I treat it early and I, I often don't even have to stop what I'm doing. I just um, drink a soda or something. But um, And you're honestly, you're a way better tester than I am. Uh, well, you're you're, you're a, a real a model of testing <laughs> uh, discipline. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I just, I try to, I try to catch it early enough that I can keep going. So when I do need help, I think sometimes people don't realize how weak I am at that moment, that I, I can't. Um, I'm, I am in a management position. I'm, I'm in charge at my work, and sometimes I'll say, I'm, I'm taking a minute, my blood sugar's low, and people still want to ask me questions. And it's like, you don't understand. I, 
imagine yourself trying to answer a very important work-related question after a night of heavy drinking or something right. like that. It's not working right now. I can't think straight, you know, or uh, if there's a deadline of some sort, you know, I need to get the money counted and in the drawer by 9 a.m. and my blood, I wake up in ketosis or something, uh, which happens and, and you're like, I'm not okay. I'm really not, but I'm the only person who can do this. And um, so sometimes I think there's almost a perception that you should be okay when you have good control. But then there's the perceptions like when your blood sugar's crashing and somebody will smack candy out of your hands. Don't eat that, you're diabetic. And has, like, has that happened to you? Yes. Oh, like literally smacked candy out of my hands no. in high school. You know, I was friends with theater kids. They're, we're all dramatic. Right. But yeah, like, Lindsay, no. And it's like, no, actually my blood sugar's 37 and you're killing me right now. You're like literally actually could end my life. <laughs> um, so there's that. Also, give me my candy. Also, yeah. Also, give me my sour punch straws, oh. please. Um, but, you know, also, I think not even the perceptions, but the way that every, you know, everybody lives in their own little movie. I remember a time um, at college in the uh, cafeteria where I was put, I had uh, tested my blood sugar, done a shot in my stomach, and I was cleaning everything up, you know, zipping my glucometer up, uh, bending the needle down, and a girl lost shit and say, oh my god did you just do a shot I'm phobic of needles and I just watched everybody rush to comfort her and shoot me dirty looks and it's like first of all she didn't even see me because I'm good at this and I'm subtle right how dare you all look at me like I've done something wrong I'm not gonna go to a dirty bathroom to do. like I yeah. hear a lot of women actually sort of correlates with the motherhood thing um, people expect women to like breastfeed in the bathroom like don't you understand that when people are doing these sterile things going to a bathroom is disgusting I don't want to go and also to do a shot in the bathroom you can't sit in a stall and do it really because you need to open your glucometer you need you to test your, to put your stuff on. <laughs> yes and it's like I, I uh, if you go to a bathroom somebody's gonna walk in and think you're shooting up drugs I, I, I agree. I think like bathroom bathrooms have a negative connotation for any sort of you know drugs or medicine. And I think um, at, at children's, my you know the education team was like, yeah, like you can do this in public. And really, if someone like tells you that you can't, that's sort of discrimination, and you kind of should take offense to it. Yeah, my best friend um, Mindy, shout out to Mindy. I've known her for a long, long time, and she's amazing. She is truly needle and blood phobic. Um, she, I mean, I, I've, we've gone to some horror movies together and I've seen her like almost black out and she does, she has a condition, there's a name for it, but like she will faint when people stick a needle in her. And I remember one night at her house uh, testing my blood sugar and her sister came in the room and said, oh my God, Mindy, doesn't that bother you? And I looked at it, it had never even clicked how much this would bother her. And I looked up and she was a little pale and she was looking away and she was like, it doesn't matter, she's got to do it. And I mean, those are the people, this girl who I spent the bulk of my time with between probably sophomore and senior year and ended up being the maid of honor at my wedding, um, she looked away, she didn't like watch me, but she never said a damn word about her own personal phobias because she knew that this was not something I was doing for attention, this was something I was doing that, well, I just, I have to because otherwise I'll get very sick or die. Mindy sounds like a ride or die. I think we all have our own Mindy's. Yeah, she's um, she's amazing. And I think we, if we don't, then you got to find your, who your Mindy is. Yeah, and Mindy, if you're listening to this, take a damn improv class so I can see you more because you're an amazing person. Yeah, we're gonna make sure Mindy hears this. <laughs>
Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there, I have a lot of those people in my life that have never, it's just to me, that was such a wonderful moment to realize that there are people who love you enough to put their own personal, you know, this is not somebody who just doesn't really like it. This is somebody who will faint at the sight of blood and who never said a damn word. You know? That's a good friend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to shift back a little bit to, you know, the pregnancy aspect. So during your two, you know, carrying your two boys, um, talk about maybe some highs, lows, any interesting blood sugar stories or reactions or, you know, things that you went through from a diabetic standpoint. Sure. Uh, well, I actually miscarried my first pregnancy, mm -hmm. which is something I try to talk about because they say one in four women, um, has a, has a pregnancy that ends in miscarriage or stillbirth. And, uh, when it happens, you feel really alone because most people don't talk about it. So you don't know who you, and I was lucky, uh, in a sense, because my mom has had several miscarriages and I had her, but... It was because of a blighted ovum, which is super common in the first trimester. It just means the baby didn't cook right, mm -hmm. and it's not going to make it. Uh, but everybody, and I mean everybody, assumed it was because I'm diabetic, which mm -hmm. is insulting. Because when you're pregnant, you will never watch your blood sugar so closely. And to have people just straight up say, oh, because of your diabetes, and it's like, no, this happens to everyone. Um, it's, it had nothing to do with my diabetes. And that also, to me, in a way, puts fault on a person because there are diabetics who don't take care of themselves, and I'm not one of them, and it was really upsetting. Um, so when we got pregnant with Brady, who is my oldest, um, it, was, it was scary. Uh, we didn't tell anybody because we didn't want to go through that again. Like a lot of people who have had a miscarriage, we kept it a secret for a while. Um, and I probably tested my blood sugar 20 times a day. Um, and in your first trimester, your blood sugars are usually pretty normal. Um, in fact, I think I crashed a lot because I was nauseous a lot. And mm -hmm. I'd do insulin, and then I'd eat and realize that I couldn't Keep eat it all down, of it. Right. And yeah, so there was a lot of balancing. But um, there was one day that I was at work, and my blood sugar got really high. I want to say it was about 400. And I was treating and treating and treating, and it wouldn't come down. And I was about 21 weeks along. Um, and so I went to the hospital and it, it got out of, like, I don't want to say that my blood sugar got out of hand, but it was really, it was another one of those moments of like, oh shit, this is really serious because they treated me in the ER and then they actually sent me to the ICU, um, because nobody understands diabetes, including medical professionals. So they said the ICU, they're the only people that can properly treat you. Hmm. Um, not because you're an intensive care patient, but because they know diabetes, uh, so anyway, as it turns out, when you're diabetic, your placenta grows. When you're anyone who's pregnant, your placenta grows, but it blocks the insulin, um. which is why some women around 21 weeks develop gestational diabetes. For type right. 1 diabetics, your body just almost stops absorbing insulin. And I remembered my doctor telling me that around 24 weeks, I would have to double my insulin levels, which I... This was my obstetrician, not my endocrinologist, so I kind of remember rolling my eyes and thinking, right. yeah, right, that's a lot of insulin. And then as I'm laying there in the hospital going, oh, oh, this is the moment. Got it. And I went through and I reprogrammed all my basils and doubled everything. Um, and I started bolusing. I, I had been bolusing one unit for 10. I started bolusing, I think, one for seven. And that, that leveled it out, but it was a really scary night laying there in intensive care. Um, and just not being able to get my blood sugar down, having to be put on an insulin drip. Um, and then I saw her again, and she told me, um, 
yeah, this is going to happen again in about your 32nd, 33rd week. So doubling it again from the previous, interesting. And so I, by the time I had my baby, I had gone from one unit for 10, or one, you know, one, uh, one for 10 carbs, uh, I was down to three wow. for 10 carbs. Yeah. It was, that's a boatload of insulin. That's a lot of insulin. Wow. Yeah. Um, and the other scary thing is she said, um, when you give birth, the minute that placenta comes out, you will crash. Hmm. So, so get ready. Get ready. The other thing is that sometimes because you are using so much insulin, it actually physically weakens the placenta. So if you are diabetic and you are late in your pregnancy and you start to see a blood sugar crash, uh, that means your placenta is not doing its job anymore and the baby needs to come out. And it happened to me in my 30. Uh, 36th week, halfway through my 36th week, I was actually laying there getting an ultrasound and uh, my perinatologist said, he's not moving very much. Normally your baby's very active. And I said, he hasn't been moving much, but I thought that was normal towards the end because they don't have a lot of space. Right. And she said, well, don't forget, you're not quite at the end. You're going to be early because he's big because you're diabetic. Uh, and he has the space. And it was crazy, right? When she said that, I said, I think I need to test my blood sugar. And it, was, it wasn't that low. It was about 67. But it all came together in that moment. I started drinking a Sprite. Um, she, she got me a can of Sprite and then she said, hold on, I'm going to go call your obstetrician. She came back in the room and she said, you're getting a C-section at 5.30 tonight. Um, don't tell them you're drinking that Sprite or they might not do it. They might not let you do it. But so, I mean, it was like um, so, the, the, so blood, the one blood sugar crash. They were just like, nope. So sort of like as with every other diabetic in, instance, it's like everything's in a balance, right? There's mm -hmm. just, you know, in you got to be willing and ready to act on a moment's notice. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, and it was a really scary six and a half hours. They sent me to a room, and they hooked me up to a fetal heart monitor because diabetics actually are still one of the groups that has a lot of stillborn babies. Hmm. Everything goes okay till the end, and then you don't catch those blood sugar crashes or something like that, and your baby dies. Uh, so they hooked me up to a fetal heart monitor and we, the, my doctor was in Plano. We were living in Fort Worth at the time. So my husband, being a husband, freaked out, wanted to do what he could and said, well, we have, we packed a bag, but we didn't bring it. It was just a doctor's appointment. Should I go home and get it? And he was making me nervous. So I was like, yes, get, get out of here. Just go away. Dude, um, you gotta get the husbands out of yeah, there. Yeah, just go away. But then he left and I'm just laying there listening to that, uh, the baby's heartbeat on the monitor and the nurse kept coming in saying let me turn this down so you can rest and I was like no I want to hear the heartbeat uh, but it was neat slowly my family filtered into the room and I had um, my mom and dad my sister and brother-in-law with their baby who was three weeks old at the time um, my sister Carly who was turned out to be Brady's god mom and then my husband of course um, so when Brady was born they did the c-section and then when they're sewing you up they actually take the baby out of the room so while they were finishing up, Brady was with my family. Um, and my dad, we're Catholic, he makes rosary beads, and he made a set for Brady. And while they were doing my C-section, my whole family said a rosary on this set of beads, which I have now, and uh, I haven't decided, but he'll get it either on his first communion or confirmation, so. And he did the same for Patrick, too. Oh, so good. Yep, and Brady was perfect, but I did not fare well after he was born. My blood pressure spiked, and they put me on um, magnesium, and I, I didn't hold him very much for four or five days, so mm. it was pretty bad. Um, oh, and then and couple that on top of having to adjust your insulin levels, and you know, I mean, 
that's that's got to be a challenge just in and of itself. Yeah, the first time I got out of bed and tried to change him when he was about four days old, um, my blood sugar crashed to about 53, if I remember correctly, and I had to walk away from him. Well, he wasn't wearing a diaper, and, you know, infants will just go. And fortunately, my husband and mother were both in the room, but I just remember I, I had a little bit of a meltdown of, like, how can I be a mother? I can't even change his diaper. I can't even... Um, it was a, it was actually kind of a dark moment for me. It was really scary because, you know, I just started thinking about what if I'm home alone with him and he's this helpless little infant and what if I have him somewhere like on his changing table and I pass out uh, or die and there he is just laying there or what if he's a little bit older and he's capable to roll and he, I mean, just the, the horrible things that go through your head. Um, so they actually ended up treating me for postpartum depression after that, hmm. which is very common in diabetics. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, with your endocrine system and such imbalance and, like, you know, highs and lows and the way that you feel, I think I, you know, I get some of those as well. Just, um, you know, when you're, when you're high for a long period of time, maybe you don't know it or just don't feel, just feel off. It's just uh, so, de- it, it is depressing. It's really depressing. Yeah. Um, and it's helpless. You feel helpless because there's, I mean... You can take really good care of yourself and still sometimes... Yes, it's just a roll of the dice some days, right? So, uh, you know, now fast forward a few years, um, what do you tell your sons about diabetes? What do you tell Brady and Patrick? Um, Not much, to be completely honest. I mean, I just talk about it when it's appropriate. Like today, um, today when I was getting ready to come to improv rehearsal, Brady was following me around and um, I had to put on a new pump and, you know, just... Like, you know, whenever I, something like that happens, I'll say to him, because of my diabetes, I have to do this. And they're interested. Like, he, he's seen me do it a few times. Today was the first time he ever actually asked. He said, can I take off your old one? And I said, yeah. And I let him peel it off and throw it in the trash. Um, you know, uh, he knows what my glucometer is. He calls it a blue commoner. Um, but I'll say, can you go get my glucometer? And he'll, he'll go get it. Um, bring it to me, or uh, if I tell him my blood sugar's low, he'll ask if I need um, something from the fridge, you know, and, and I'll, I'll tell him what I want, if it's orange juice or Sprite, and I let him help me because I figure someday I might need him to mm-hmm. help me. Um, my youngest, you know, he's only, he'll, he'll be three in March, and I don't think he quite gets it yet, um, but, you know, they just, I don't ever, I don't ever like, oh, I'm not going to test my blood sugar in front of them because it they'll freak out right. or anything like that. Or I try to explain to them that I'm not okay because of my blood sugar. Um, and it's funny when Brady was like two or three, Brady's kind of a hypochondriac. He kind of likes the attention that comes with being sick. If he coughs once, he'll be like, mama, we need to go to the hospital because <laughs> he had his tonsils out and he loved getting all the attention at the hospital. But so, um, one day he just like flopped on my bed and said, Mama, I don't feel good. I think my blood sugar is crashing, you know, and I just thought, oh, God, do I look like that? Am I that dramatic when it happens? Also, just a drama kid, yeah, 100%. Absolutely, great. absolutely. Um, you know, but his, yeah, his his pregnancy went, my pregnancy with my second kiddo went way better, but he didn't make it as long. I only made it to 36 weeks, so he was a month early, and I ended up with Patrick being in the NICU for, uh, Five days, I think. The, the white boys don't do well when they're early. I don't know why. Mm. No, no offense, Rob. I was a little bit early. Not that early, though. They call them wimpy white boys. Because... Mm. Uh, well, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So he wouldn't um, he wouldn't suck. 
Uh, first he had some breathing problems, then he wouldn't suck, so he wouldn't eat. So we were almost facing the eventuality of going home without our new baby, but fortunately it kicked in at the end. But, um, you know, I had a lot of guilt with that because everything went perfectly for me the second time. I almost, you know, I almost died when Brady was born. He was perfect. Then with Patrick, I did great, but he, I mean, he wasn't ever, like, near death, but I felt really guilty. Um, so, you know, we've decided not to, I always wanted a really big family, but we decided we should probably feel, feel lucky that we have two healthy kiddos. And, and hilarious kiddos, too. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. really funny. They're really funny. So I think what, um, you know, as uh, an example of somebody who's you know been very successful as a diabetic and uh, has a beautiful family, what would you tell uh, you know any, anyone with diabetes looking to start a family? That you can do it, but it's it's harder. And I I don't just mean the pregnancy. I was telling you earlier. Uh, I was trying to get out of the grocery store the other day, and I think most moms can relate. Like, I had one of those carts with a little car in the front. Those mm -hmm. things are horrible, <laughs> huge, getting through a store, but the kids were pretty good. Right as we get to the checkout line, they start fighting. They're punching each other. They're yelling at each other, and I'm just trying to pay and get out of there, but I feel really weird. Um, so I think up to this point, most moms with a two-year-old and a four-year-old would be like, oh, girl, I have been there. It's crazy, and it's, it's awful because you just want to leave, but you're at the mercy of this guy who's checking you out and you're trying to get your wallet out. And then I realized, you know, it clicked. I was like, oh, I feel this way because my blood sugar's crashing. And like, you know, I the, the cooler was right there. I grabbed a Coke and paid for it and I'm drinking. But so I'm trying to get them out. It was freezing and it was raining and I'm trying to bundle them in their coats and I'm trying to pay. And all the normal mom stuff that I think any mom would tell you, this is a pain in the ass, but I'm doing it. I think my blood sugar was right around 60. You know, but I hadn't crashed in a while, so I just felt like sitting down on the floor and crying, you know. And it wasn't because of the boys, and it wasn't because of the blood sugar. It was just all of it. And so, you know, you can do it, but I think, you know, if you're ambivalent about having kids, well, this is advice for anyone. If, if you're not sure, don't do it. If, if you know, if you have that choice. Uh, but if you have diabetes and you want to have kids, I think you have to be very prepared to commit harder than anyone who commits to having kids because your pregnancy is going to be hard during your um, last month or two you will be going to the doctor twice a week if if that rarely i mean um, anytime there's anything that other people they would say you know oh the baby's not moving oh lay down and do a kit count if i called and said the baby's not moving i would have to go in i'd have to get hooked up to a fetal heart monitor i'd have to do a non-stress test which is basically laying there for a while counting heartbeats and kicks and everything. I mean, it's it's intense. Um, and I think if, if you're somebody who doesn't enjoy being around kids or being involved with kids or who loses their patience easily, being a diabetic mom is probably not for you because like I said, it's just gonna be a little bit harder because we all have those days where we don't feel it. Our blood sugar's crashing, our blood sugar's high, or it just takes a lot of maintenance and so do kids, you know? Um, but the other thing is if it's what you want to do, then do it because you can do it and your babies are going to be perfect. Don't let any old people tell you that diabetics can't have kids. That is, that's utter bullshit and it's a horrible thing to tell somebody. Um, if you can't have kids, it's not because of your diabetes, there's something else going on and you know, go to a fertility specialist and they'll help you. But uh, and the other thing I would say is get a really good partner in your obstetrician because nobody, not your husband, not your mom, not your sister who has seven kids, nobody's going to know what it's like. And frankly, I had two different endocrinologists with each of my pregnancies and they kind of sucked 
they were very like, they saw me and they helped me, but it was my obstetrician. Can I say her name? Is that yep. okay? Dr. Katrina Walsh in Plano. Um, she is unfreaking believable with high risk pregnancies. I actually have another friend who went through a different high risk pregnancy with her, uh, and she saved her life. And my sister went through a high risk pregnancy with her, and she got her through it really well. But with the diabetes, I mean, like I said, she know, like she just said, oh, at this week you're going to double your insulin. At this week you're going to double it again. Um, if this happens, this is what it means. She, I mean. Most doctors who are not endocrinologists do not understand diabetes. Dr. Walsh, I mean, she's amazing and also just like the best bedside manner ever. She called me from Hawaii to check on me because she had to leave for vacation the day after I delivered a baby. She called me on the 4th of July weekend um, because she wanted to check on me and she wasn't on call that weekend. I mean, she's unbelievably involved and she she got me through it with minimal uh, fear and minimal questioning. So you know, and the other thing I would say is prep for your pregnancy. You know, get your blood sugars in control first, because you're gonna feel like shit that first trimester if you're like most pregnant women, not all but most, and it's just too exhausting to have to deal with that on top of everything else. And right, just that that other thing that you've always got to deal with. Yeah. That's sort of. You know, a consistent theme across, you know, all of the people that we interview is like, you know what, I do what I love and I have a real life and I'm a real person and I also have diabetes on top of that. Yeah. Um, I think that's just, um, it's cool to see that that is a common theme that like diabetics kind of bond over and I think we all sort of understand that and just kind of getting everyone else to sort of appreciate that as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can do... It's, maybe it sounds cheesy, but yeah, you can do anything anybody else can do except stop taking insulin, right. I guess. <laughs> yeah. But um, you do, I think most diabetics I know have a certain level of maturity about them because we had to grow up young. No matter how old you are when you're diagnosed, if it's three months old or 13 or 15, most type 1 diabetics, not all, but most are diagnosed at a young age. And you have to at some point embrace, I can't be like my friends. Mm -hmm. I have to be a little more careful with me. And there comes a, a certain maturity with that, you know? I didn't drink at a young age or party because I was super concerned about my blood sugars. Um, and I was afraid that like my blood sugar would crash and they would smell beer on my breath and I would just die. Right. So I just didn't do it, you know? And But I don't think that's a bad thing. No. <laughs> you know? Certainly not. So I just, I think, you know, like you said, you just, you have to prepare for what you want to do and you have to be more careful. And yeah, that sucks, but also with it comes more gratitude. I mean, I, oh my God, I look at those boys. Oh, they're just the most perfect. They're just perfect. And I know that 50 years ago, I probably wouldn't have them. And um, I, I would have a doctor who just said, don't do it. You have diabetes. And, um, Oh my God, I can't even imagine my life without them because they make me so happy and they're so sweet and they're such good boys and um, I'm, I'm freaky about looking at them. I check on them like 50 times at night. I just peek in their bedroom and I, I could just watch them forever and I do definitely have those moments of just like there were people who thought I couldn't do this and there were time times in history when I wouldn't have been able to do this and I did it and um they're my everything. Well, it's so beautiful, and thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And 
um, for coming on the show. I'm really glad. To, I know we, you know, have been trying to schedule this for a while. I'm really glad that we finally got to sit down and do it. Thank um, you. So thank you, Lindsay Power, for for joining us today. Uh, thank I'm, you, Rob Howe, for doing this. Well, we are glad to have you. So check us out. Um, we're also on Instagram and Facebook, uh, Diabetics Doing Things on both. And then check out our podcast on iTunes, uh, Diabetics Doing Things. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to Diabetics Doing Things. Subscribe to our newsletter for weekly emails and behind-the-scenes content. And if you or someone you know has an amazing story to share, send an email to rob at diabeticsdoingthings.com. Diabetics Doing Things is also available on iTunes. Subscribe to us in the podcast app to have weekly episodes automatically downloaded to your phone.